Michael Ashcroft, the founder of Lord Ashcroft Polls, and this is the Ashcroft in America podcast. With just days to go to the election, the Ashcroft in America tour has reached its final destination, Ohio, a crucial swing state that has famously voted for the winning candidate in every presidential election since 1964. No Republican has ever won the White House without Ohio, and the state is central to Donald Trump's strategy of winning over the kind of working-class voters who make up a large part of the state's population. One complication is that the state's popular Republican governor, John Kasich, has always opposed Trump. Indeed, he wrote in the name of John McCain on his ballot paper rather than vote for his party's nominee. On the other hand, the news that the FBI is reviewing new emails that may be related to their investigation of Hillary Clinton has reopened the question of whether voters will trust her with the highest office in the lab. We are here to find out how much impact, if any, this has had on undecided voters and how they see the decision they must make next week. Hello, I'm Kevin Colwick, the Director of Lord Ashcroft Polls, and I'm here in Cincinnati on what I'm sad to say is the final stop of the Ashcroft in America tour, and even sadder to say it's the last time I'll be joined on this trip by my co-host Elise Jordan. How are you doing, Elise? I'm good, Kevin. I would almost say that I'm heartbroken that the Ashcroft in America team is going to head back to the UK, but I am so glad that this election is almost over. This week in the season finale of Ashcroft in America, Henry Gomez of the Cleveland Plain Dealer tells us why he thinks Donald Trump's poll lead in the state may be deceptive. Lord Ashcroft interviews John McCain's former strategist Steve Schmidt and former Democratic presidential candidate Howard Dean. And the voters of Cincinnati tell us what they're thinking days before they decide who should occupy the White House. It's not often that you get a true October surprise, but last Friday, FBI Director James Comey sent a letter to Congress stating that the Bureau would be looking into new information pertaining to the investigation of Hillary Clinton's private email server. Democrats pounced on Director Comey as politicising the investigation in the final days before Tuesday's vote, but Trump relished the announcement, arguing that a vote for Clinton was a continuation of a corrupt Washington status quo. Clinton attempted to change the narrative back to Trump by campaigning in Florida with Alicia Machado, the beauty queen she invoked in the first debate as the target of Trump's name-calling when Machado gained weight during her reign as Miss Universe. Early voting is underway in most states, and some analysts predict that as many as 70% of Florida voters will have cast their ballots early. Of the early voters, the Clinton camps encouraged by reports of surging Latino turnout, but African-American voters have so far failed to come out in numbers equal to 2012 when President Barack Obama was on the ballot. Donald Trump sought to expand his electoral margin by buying last-minute airtime in Virginia and Colorado, where he has gained on Clinton in the past two weeks. And Trump also descended on Wisconsin, promising to return multiple times before Election Day, pouncing on the hope that depressed African-American turnout in metropolitan areas could deliver him a state Republicans haven't won since Ronald Reagan. Henry Gomez is a political reporter for Ohio's biggest newspaper, the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Earlier in the week, I asked him how he saw the state of the race with only a few days to go. We've seen the polls tighten in Donald Trump's favour since the last chapter in the email story that came out at the end of last week, and we still don't know how that's going to play out. But most recent polls in Ohio have put Trump in the lead. Why do you think his position here has been stronger than in most other swing states? Well, the, the answer to that is that demographically, Ohio 
fits the the mold that Trump is going after. The state is uh, whiter. It's uh, and it's less educated than some of these other battleground states. There are pockets of the white working class voters that Trump has been courting heavily. So when you look at this expanded battleground map and you see both candidates uh, competing a lot in North Carolina, in Florida, and, and now even Arizona, those are states that have larger minority populations than Ohio does. And that's why those states likely are more competitive. Now, Ohio is still very, very close, but for anybody wondering why Hillary Clinton you know, hasn't run away with it yet uh, in this state, I, I do look to the, the blue-collar areas of Ohio where there are still quite a few Reagan Democrats around. Despite the polls putting Trump in the lead here, you've reported that you think Hillary Clinton has the stronger foothold in the state. Are her prospects here better than they look on paper? I think so. I think the polls don't tell the full story. And what you got to, what you, your listeners should know about Ohio is that early voting has been underway here now for several weeks. It's a, it's a very robust early voting program. And Hillary Clinton has a strong, uh, strong organization in the state. As early as June, the Democrats had over 150 staffers on the ground and they were all working in perfect harmony with the Clinton campaign. And conversely, the Trump campaign has had a rocky relationship with the Republican establishment in Ohio. The governor, John Kasich, ran for president, did not beat Trump in the primaries. He controls the, the vast Republican machinery in the state. And a lot of those you know, foot soldiers weren't eager to go and work for Donald Trump. So the Republicans were at an organizational disadvantage from the start. And where this all comes into play, to go back to the point of early voting, is that you have the Clinton campaign and the Democrats who will have a better ability in these in this closing week to identify which voters have already received ballots, which voters have returned those ballots, which voters need a nudge or an encouragement to make sure they get that ballot back. And then come election day, they'll be better positioned to know who has returned ballots, which voters they still need to target and get out to the polls. And I think all of those things are, are going to be uh, important in the final days of this campaign. And the latest twist in the email saga is obviously dominating the news at the moment. Is it your sense that this has had much of an impact on voters in Ohio or are other things more important to them, do you think? Yeah, you know, it hasn't seemed to have that much of an impact in the, the quick polling that's been done since then. And then just anecdotally, what I'm seeing reports from my colleagues downstate who have uh, who reported on a couple of uh, uh, Bill Clinton events this week. It, you know, the, both of these candidates, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, have some high negatives about them. They, I think, are the two um, <laughs> least liked major party nominees to face off against each other ever. And I think when it comes to that, a lot of their negatives are already baked in. The Access Hollywood tape, when it came out, you know, it had a short term impact, but really didn't move a lot of republic. It didn't really move uh, a lot of people long term out of the Donald Trump camp. And I'm not sure that this email. Uh, this uh, extension of the email scandal for Hillary Clinton is going to have uh, a long-term disastrous effect on her. Now you mentioned Governor Kasich not endorsing Trump and the problems that's caused for him with his ground campaign in the state. Has it also worked the other way around? Have Republicans in Ohio criticised Kasich for not getting behind the party's nominee? No, not as much as you might expect. There have been some in the activist, the Republican activist community who have expressed disappointment that Kasich hasn't gotten on board. You know, there are certainly 
other office holders in the state who have endorsed Donald Trump and would probably like, you know, John Kasich too as well to to give them some more cover in doing so. But, you know, John Kasich does control the Republican Party machine in the state. Many of these people, even those who have split with him to endorse Donald Trump, remain very loyal to the governor. And even when there's been some of these disputes between the Ohio Republican Party and the Donald Trump campaign, what, what sort of keeps everybody together at the state party is Governor Kasich. You know, he, the chairman is his handpicked ally. And I think that we've never seen in the past when some of these Tea Party types or, you know, ultra conservatives within the party have tried to make a move against John Kasich, they've never been successful. And that's a testament to the, the strength and respect that Kasich commands in the state. Do you think we're going to be hearing more from him on the national stage over the next few years? Do you think he's going to throw his hat into the ring for 2020? Well, he would like to. He would like you to hear more from him uh, after this is over. He certainly has already planted a few seeds for 2020. He, he went to New Hampshire. He's already been to New Hampshire to campaign for uh, one of the, the Republican gubernatorial candidate up there, Chris Sununu. Uh, you know, cashing in or collecting some chits for, for 2020 should he decide to do that. I think you'll hear Kasich try to assert himself as a voice uh, nationally after this is over, especially if Hillary Clinton wins. You know, we saw Kasich go to the White House about a month ago to speak with President Obama on the Trans-Pacific Partnership, basically endorse it, encourage Congress to, to pass it. That's a position that's anathema to a lot of these Trump Republicans who are opposed to free trade deals. But it was Kasich sort of sticking to his, you know, I'm a guy who can work with the other party. And I think that it'll be interesting to see how, as governor of Ohio, what type of what type of olive branch, what, what, what type of help in hand does he extend toward a President Hillary Clinton if she wins? Republican operative Steve Schmidt was senior strategist to John McCain's 2008 presidential bid. If you've seen the movie Game Change, he's the one played by Woody Harrelson. Between television appearances, Steve talked to Lord Ashcroft over breakfast in New York. In a right-of-center country, where there is a market for a right-of-center party, the Republicans have to be a modern party that embraces science, that cannot be seen as inimically hostile to women and to women's reproductive rights. It means that the Republican Party cannot antagonize the fastest growing demographic groups in the country, Asian Americans and Latino Americans, with divisive rhetoric. It means that Republicans cannot target with hateful language gay Americans and hope to do well with the millennial generation. Uh, you've said that Donald Trump has exposed the, quote, intellectual rot of the Republican Party. What did you mean by that, and how do you think the GOP got to this divisive moment? The Republican Party, through the 1980s, was viewed by the leadership of the country and of both parties as the party where all the ideas were. We've reached a moment where there's been a severability between issues and conservatism in this country. And the test of who is a conservative is now who has the most incendiary or hottest rhetoric towards President Obama and the Democrats. And the dividing line, the epithet hurled at moderate Republicans by the talk radio conservative entertainment complex, Rhino, Republican in name only. 
the, the, the dividing line between a Republican in name only and a true conservative in this formulation is who has fidelity to the craziest statements made on any given day. And so a serious governing philosophy has been reduced to an emotional primal scream. And the leadership of the Republican Party has become unmoored from the principles of limited government, of competent government, and is bereft at an intellectual idea of a vision to move the country forward in, its, in the third decade of the 21st century. One of the many extraordinary things about this election is the repeated leaks of emails and other documents from Hillary Clinton and the Democratic Party organization, which many have blamed on the Russians. What do you make of that, and how do you think American politicians should respond? Well, this is a enormously important issue because never in the history of the United States ever has a foreign geopolitical adversary attempted to influence in such direct a manner the outcome of a presidential election in the, in the United States. And as opposed to condemning this and saying whatever emerges with these leaked emails, by orders of magnitude, the more serious issue is how they came to public. Republicans, in fact, are going out and saying things like, thank God for WikiLeaks for not, you know, for doing the job of the mainstream media. Uh, now, of course, Republicans are susceptible to this as well, but the attack on the sovereignty of the United States and its acceptance, because there seems to be a political benefit by members of Congress who swore, sworn an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States is outlandish. There's no other word for it. Which Republican leaders do you think are well-placed to take the party forward after this election, and how do you see the future of the party? Neither political party has ever nominated a candidate so manifestly unprepared for the office, and there will be a consequence to that. The Democrats have lost elections and landslides because they've nominated candidates that were too liberal, and the Republicans have done the same by nominating candidates that were too conservative. I'm not sure that the Republican Party survives this as we recognize it today. The Republican Party is not compatible with the rise of what's called the alt-right movement that has driven so much energy in the Donald Trump campaign, the white nationalism, the clearly open racism and misogyny that, that exists within it. And I think that there's an outstanding chance that what this election will yield is some version of Trump TV, as he has a very significant market share, certainly enough to monetize a multi-billion dollar media company. Um, and I think you could well see the, the fracturing of the party into a UKIP style or a National Front style third party on the right, which will of course have consequences for the Democratic Party. I'm not sure that I believe the two-party system in America as we've known it survives into the next decade. I think you'll see a legitimate third party candidacy four years from now, someone who's running in a right of center space, and I think that you will see uh, a 
factionalization of the Democratic Party as well. You know, we all of our attention is on the Republican Party because it is the pot boiling over on the front burner of the stove. But there is another giant pot that's reaching near boil on the back burner of that stove, and that's the Democratic Party. All of the dysfunctions in the Republican Party also exist within the Democratic Party. They just haven't manifested themselves and have been kept under really some degree a lid because of the incumbent presidency of, of Barack Obama. It looks as though whoever wins the election is going to have a tough time getting their agenda through Congress, not least their Supreme Court nominees. As someone, Steve, who knows Capitol Hill well, how do you see these battles playing out? I, I think that every new administration presents a new president with an opportunity for greatness. The country has been almost providentially blessed in that the right people have emerged at the right hours and sometimes from left field. Dwight Eisenhower was a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army who had not been promoted in 14 years in 1939. We see in the country a history of leaders who we had one level of expectation like Harry Truman, transcend that and become giants. Does Hillary Clinton have the requisite wisdom as somebody who's in their seventh decade, who has been on public stage longer than any figure the American people are actually considering making president of the United States? Does she have the capacity to understand that what the country needs is a divider of the, is a healer of the breach that is opened up between the, the American people. Lincoln said, we must all be friends. And those bonds of affection are frayed in our country. And they've been frayed further by this disgusting and demagogic campaign. Will she be able to reach out and to heal that by practicing one of the most important qualities of politics, which is restraint at your moment of maximum political power. And in good faith, with an open hand, go to the opposition and say, let us do the work of the American people at long last. And that question, we will soon know the answer to. Now for our final round of focus groups. These were people who, with less than a week to go, still could not decide how to vote. First of all, the big story of the week. Had the latest news about the FBI and Hillary's emails moved anybody one way or the other? Kind of just shrug your shoulders like, well, <laughs> I mean, we already, we're about all kind of like, you know, whatever with both of them. So for one, one more thing to add on the pile, it's kind of just still like, well... I mean, has she done nothing at all in the past 30 years and this hit? Then I would say, oh my gosh, this is humongous, you know, but it's just the continued pattern of what she's done basically all of her adult life. Nobody had any clarification, so it's just speculation. I don't believe that anybody who's like, well, she's the better of two evils has changed their mind because that isn't, it isn't a big enough issue. It, I mean, it's a, people make it out of the biggest issue they want. Like, like keep it a big issue, and the people who say it's not a big issue will still say it's not a big issue. Yeah. 
people who have leaned towards that and made their decision to never to say never Trump, you know, will say never Trump. People who believe that she had something to do with Benghazi or emails are not going to change their position. It's just. <coughs> I think they're going to stay their ground. I think those are the two main things. Emails are nothing new. These undecided voters were depressed about the state of the country and even more depressed about the decision they had to make in the next few days. These things are continuously getting worse and more corrupt and it's harder to trust the government and trust leadership. So it's just, we're, mm -hmm. I feel like we're running out of resources and making dumb decisions about them. And it's just kind of pessimistic, but it's mm -hmm. also just kind of depressing. Just the lack of confidence in the candidates. You know, you know, one you don't trust, and the other one, for lack of a better term, seems like a bubbling idiot a lot of times. I mean, I think collectively as a democracy, we've failed. Mm -hmm. Because we've, the point of the democracy is to elect the person who's most um, qualified for the candidacy. And I would say both parties right now agree that neither candidate is the most qualified out of the pool of candidates. I can at least go back to Obama, and I know some things that he wanted to do. I didn't always agree with him, but the things he said in his debates and what he wanted to do, he did. You know, but these two, they don't talk about the country. They don't talk about our debt. They don't. She's mad because he ain't paying taxes. He's mad because she, it's like a he say, she say, we in high school. Now it's almost like I'm watching reality TV when I see Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. When I see their commercials, I'm like, do I have to vote? Do I have to? Yeah, right. I don't even want to. I really don't even want to vote because I think it's a joke. And I have always voted every election day. And I keep saying to my husband, I don't think I can consciously check either box. I mean, I just, I just would feel like I'm contributing exactly. to either one of them yes. that are lunatics. I am not secure either way. It is to me, what difference does it make? Because either way it goes, what is true? As we've heard throughout our research, most of the concerns about Donald Trump were to do with his character and temperament. Uh, early on, I thought my honest feelings were that he's just after the camera time because that's, that's what I think it started mm -hmm. as. And then after a while, I, I think he really said, you know, or the Trump camp said, wait a minute, these people are actually taking this serious. Yeah. So then he was kind of too deep into it to back out. And he said, I, I can't believe it, but they're actually buying this crap. I, I really like that for Ashes, and I appreciate it. I would love it at work. I would love to work for somebody like that. But I don't know that I want him going into diplomatic relations, <coughs> right, spouting right. off the mouth. I mean, I don't know if I'm, I'm afraid do we want him smacking the Queen of England's butt during a meeting? Do we want him trying to dap up North Korea? I just don't know that this is what we want. What's the worst possible outcome of Trump being elected president? Divisiveness. I have a great community that I live in, and we, you know, they've never had to worry about stuff like this, where now kids are going to school and they're saying, you know, repeating some of the things they're hearing. What's the first thing he does when he gets in? Says something stupid. Would I love someone who can be that bull in a china shop and make changes, sure. But I just wonder at a human being level if Trump gets it. And when I say it, I mean anything about life. And I, I just don't think that he does. Given that these people were still undecided how to vote, it followed that they didn't think any better of Hillary Clinton. I believe she's a murderer. And that's just from everything that I've read, whether it's true or not, but with, I just believe she is a murderer and I, she is a criminal. 
you wake up on the 9th of November and Hillary has won. Disgusted. Nauseous. Worried. Terrified. Disappointed. <laughs> Need to pray. What's the worst case scenario if Hillary gets in? I think the biggest thing I think is we may even become bankrupt as a country. Mm. Like America could become bankrupt behind Hillary. As we've already heard, some of these people despaired of the choice and thought they might end up not voting at all. Those who leaned reluctantly towards Hillary Clinton did so because they thought she was the safer pair of hands on balance. Those who marginally preferred Donald Trump thought him the more likely to make changes and get things done, whatever those things might turn out to be. I can't stand behind some someone who says the things that he says. If I wouldn't want my daughter to marry someone like that or to look up to someone like that or my son, then I don't want to vote them in the presidency. In good conscience, I can't vote for either because I disagree with Hillary on some policy issues and some other things, and I disagree with Trump's character. You have to pick the person that at least knows something about the country. Like, you can't, if I have to pick, and I still have it, it's... In five days, I think, or seven, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be totally, if I pick Hillary, it's going to be because Hillary's been in politics for 30 years and Donald Trump don't know it's nothing. It's just so hard to look at the fact that. The politics of America. He's a he's a TV show. He doesn't. It know. seems like it's a joke to him. It, he doesn't it know anything like about how America works and how the, the yeah. machine and how it runs. And I can say that about Hillary because okay. she's been here. She's done. We, we know we're not going to get any change with Hillary. I, I think a lot of people truly believe that, you know, four years from now or if it's two mm-hmm. terms, eight years from now, you're not going to really get any changes. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, and a lot of people feel like, let's roll the dice and we're going to have to put up with a whole bunch of bad stuff, but maybe we'll get some things done with Trump. So, Kevin, at this stage in the game, talking to undecided voters in Ohio with four days left, until people all across America are going to polling places. You see that these undecided voters are in true agony. They can't see themselves voting for Hillary Clinton. They can't see themselves voting for Donald Trump, and they don't want to waste their vote on a third-party candidate. And the thing that was supposed to move the needle this week, the thing that everyone's been talking about, the latest chapter in the email saga, doesn't seem to have changed anybody's mind one way or the other. That's all baked in. It's just another line in the email story that everyone's familiar with and bored with and they that's all baked into what they think about Hillary just as the things Donald Trump says that he shouldn't have said are baked into their views about Donald Trump. Um, it might help that um, the news and the attention is focused on one of Hillary's negatives in the last week rather than one of Donald Trump's but it certainly hasn't changed the game. All it does is remind voters what they dislike about Hillary Clinton and that's the lingering scandals that happen constantly but they're used to it just like they're used to Donald Trump's words, and they ascribe little meaning to Donald Trump's words. That's kind of what I feel that these undecided voters were telling us this week, that they just don't see Trump governing the way that he has been campaigning. So essentially, his words are kind of meaningless to these voters. He's entertaining, and that's what matters for now, that he would be a wrecking ball domestically and tear up the system. And the way they explain the risk to themselves is to say that he will surround himself by good advisors who will make sure that nothing too bad goes wrong. But of course, tearing up the system domestically isn't the same as the way he'll behave on the international stage, which does still worry people a bit more. And gives them pause about whether they can actually vote for Donald Trump if he is going to be as ill-behaved internationally as he has been throughout this campaign season. Now, over the last few weeks, we've seen Hillary consistently ahead in the polls. So if Trump were to win, that would be an upset. But there are maybe two wild cards. One is that we still don't know exactly who's going to turn out. And with everyone so unenthusiastic, it might still be that there's a differential between 
the number of people who can drag themselves out to vote for Hillary and the number of people who are slightly more enthusiastic to vote for Trump. The other thing, of course, is that the pollsters might have been missing something all the way along, and there really is a secret army of Trump voters who are going to deliver Brexit times 10, as he says. And that's what people are really wondering about and why political watchers are really on pins and needles because people did miss so much about Donald Trump from the very beginning. And, you know, I think back to when we started this fun adventure in Wisconsin and Donald Trump really had a shot at winning Wisconsin and winning the election. We really saw some key similarities in how people were talking about Donald Trump the same way that they spoke about Brexit in that they were willing to take an unknown risk just to shake up the system and get some change in America. Since then, we've had the first debate. We've had the fiasco over Miss Universe. We've had the other stories about Donald Trump and women. And that seems to have been the focus of the campaign one way or another ever since then. And you think it makes you wonder if he'd managed to talk instead about jobs and change and taxes and trade, whether we could have been looking at a different election by now. Howard Dean is the former governor of Vermont and ran for the Democratic nomination for president in 2004. As the chair of the Democratic National Committee, his 50-state strategy helped Barack Obama compete with John McCain in traditionally red states in 2008. Lord Ashcroft spoke to him about his predictions for the Democratic Party for this election day and beyond. Uh, most of the, the polls now give Hillary Clinton a clear lead, both nationally and in most of the key states. Does that feel right to you, or do you worry that we could be in for a surprise? Uh, it feels right, but I also worry that we could be in, in for a surprise. In every American election, and this is, of course, true in, in British elections, as we unfortunately saw in, on the 23rd of June, uh, there are shifts at the last minute that pollsters can't account for. They can't even see them because they don't have enough time to be in the field and analyze their data. Uh, we saw this with Carter versus Reagan. Uh, we've seen this with many, many uh, elections. So uh, I, while I do believe that Hillary Clinton is going to be the next president of the United States, I am also prepared for a few sleepless nights uh, out of the next 11. You once famously said that you were on the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party. And so what led you to endorse Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders in this election? I've known Hillary for 25 years. I like her a lot. I trust her. I think she's incredibly bright. Uh, I actually, although most Americans don't vote on foreign policy issues, I think foreign policy is critical. Uh, you know, I think democracy is in trouble. I think capitalism is in certain trouble, partly because of its own excesses. And we've got to have somebody who has a big picture vision and knowledge of the world. And Hillary knows pretty much anybody who's worth knowing in the world. And I, I have a lot of faith in her ability to bring people together. We're often told that in this election, American voters have to choose between the two most unpopular candidates in presidential history. Why do you think Hillary Clinton has such low approval ratings? And how will that affect her ability to govern if she wins the White House? Uh, I, you know, I, Hillary is, is a combination of someone who's very cautious and careful uh, and thoughtful lawyer and somebody who's been brutalized by the press for 30 years, a lot of these accusations are really fairly baseless, and it's the kind of stuff that goes on in politics all the time. But the press doesn't have enough to do, so they write these stories, which, frankly, have been proven to be not true and then not recanted. And this is in respectable press, not just tabloids. So, you know, she's had a rough go of it. She's not like her husband or President Obama, who are fantastic political personalities. Hillary really is a craftsperson. Uh, she's incredibly competent. I think she'll be a fantastic manager. 
which you could criticize both of President Obama and President Clinton for being maybe not a fantastic manager. Uh, that may be what we need. Uh, her her ratings are aren't good. I think that's unjustified. But I'm you know I don't get the only vote in this election. Just moving on to something in which you caused uh, quite a stir, and which uh, we Brits were were not uh, aware of during the presidential debate. You're a physician, and you you speculated that Trump sniffing maybe cocaine use. Do you still feel that way? I I wasn't sure I ever did feel that way. That was a calculated tactical move on my part. I think the press in this country gave Donald Trump a free ride, and I think they did it for, to make money. Uh, he was given a, a privileges that have never been afforded uh, any candidate for president of the United States, calling in while he's in his pajamas and in his hotel suite to the most prestigious talk shows in the country. Donald Trump has used innuendo with no evidence whatsoever for 15 months. And the purpose of uh, what I said was exactly to do what happened, which was the media got all in a tough, tied their britches in a knot, as they say, and uh, criticized me. I was waiting for that. I was hoping for that. And I, fortunately, I was able to have some interviews where I pointed out that their own behavior for 15 months was no different than mine. Moving on to the realignment that's going on in American politics, with the Democrats becoming more the party of educated professionals and the Republicans appealing increasingly to what used to be called the blue-collar voters. Do you think that is going to be a long-term trend? And if it does continue, will the Democrats be able to sustain their traditional coalition of unions, minorities, and ideological liberals? Uh, yes and yes, but. The but is that the unions won't be able to speak for their membership. Uh, and unlike your system and our system, there is no organized uh, pull that unions particularly have over their members other than education. And yours uh, in the Labor Party, the unions get to go in and they have a certain number of votes because of their membership. That doesn't work that way here. Um, so, uh, I, you know, this I think this is a new coalition that's emerging. I think it's it's been going this way for a long time. The only thing that's going to pull back on the working class vote for Don, for people like Donald Trump and the Republican Party is that, in fact, the Republican Party has very little interest in working class people and haven't done anything for them for probably the last, I would say, before the Great Depression. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be an interesting transition. This is a lot of, again, it's a lot about people who've been left behind by globalization. Uh, I think globalization has been fantastic. I think it is created, uh, uh, lifted a billion people out of poverty, but there are people, because of their skill set, who have been ha really struggled to keep up with the tremendous changes in the economy having to do with the speed of the internet, the speed of innovation. Uh, and then they've also been culturally left behind. We have our, our first African-American president. Uh, we have uh, same-sex uh, marriages. This, is, this turns uh, culture upside down in a short period of time. And that, coupled, I think, with economic stress, is what's caused this realignment. Um, we're going to have to make—we, Democrats, are going to have to make a special effort to reach out, as I think the British government will, uh, particularly uh, to, in the Midlands. Uh, the, the Midlands voters who voted for Brexit are really very much the similar to, to Trump's uh, people. And I think uh, both of our so-called elites, which I would, I suppose, consider myself one of, have got to do a much better job making sure that uh, that relatively low-skilled uh, employees get a better opportunity in this fantastic global economy that we've built. That's going to be the challenge for Hillary, assuming she wins, and I think that's the challenge uh, it, it, across Europe, actually, not just in Britain.
Finally, uh, you're now a respected commentator on the political process, but do you ever miss the days of running for president yourself? Uh, well, let's put it this way. In January, I was asked by Hillary's people to go do what they call the coast-to-coast -coast tour of Iowa, which, since it's in the middle of the country, is actually from the Missouri River to the Mississippi. Uh, it, it's, it's 14 stops, it's 1,000 miles, and it, it was uh, 36 hours. And I got up the next morning and I went, boy, that was really great, and I am really glad I don't have to do it again. And that's it for Ashcroft in America. Previous editions of our podcast are available at iTunes, where you can hear from the wise voters of Wisconsin, North Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Florida. You can listen to Lord Ashcroft's interviews with the likes of Carl Rove, Rachel Maddow, Reince Priebus, John Sopel, Margaret Hoover, Joe Trippi, and of course, Mitt Romney. All our research, together with Lord Ashcroft's thoughts on a great many things, are published at lordashcroftpolls.com. We hope you enjoy the election. Thanks for listening, and God bless America. That was fun. We should definitely do this again. Ashcroft in France. It has to start with an A, or it doesn't work. Ashcroft in, Ashcroft in Albania. Ashcroft in Argentina. Ashcroft in Australia. Ashcroft in Afghanistan. Austin. Ashcroft in Ashcroft in Austria. I like the idea of Ashcroft in Antigua. That's a good one. I'll have a word. Ashcroft in Andorra. Do we have elections in Andorra? I think we have to find out.